0: Welcome to the Coachable Podcast. I'm thrilled to interview Jill Coleman in this episode and chat about her business and how her coaching career has collided to form a powerful lesson for us all. She peels back the layers of her seminars, her programs, her launches, and much more. I loved hearing her explain her business model, how she thinks about it from marketing to managing, and everything in between. Grab a notepad, like I did, and take some notes. Enjoy. Welcome to Coachable. I am here with uh, Jill Coleman. Jill and I have known each other for what seems like forever, uh, going way back to maybe even the Fitness Summit and a New York City business event. But first and foremost, Jill, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me. Super excited to be here.
0: Yeah. And, you know, first and foremost, I I think um, for anybody that's followed you for a long time, um, they've looked and seen your evolution from coach slash personal trainer to business coach for many people. Um, was there ever a tipping point where you were like, I, I know I'm meant for more than this? Uh, I think you mentioned like a Friday night, you had to do like a, a $15 <laughs> training session. Was was there was it was it that but then the next day you woke up and you were just like, "Ugh, never again
1: no i mean i think you know i was a personal trainer for a long time i was in the gym for i guess maybe 14 years uh Mm -hmm. working 70 to 8 hours a week in the gym and no i don't think and also i want to also say the internet isn't like i'm meant for more necessarily right i know you and Mm -hmm. i both know a ton of trainers obviously you gym owner like that are just making massive waves in the world and so you know i think for me it was more about having this moment and the one you're talking about i'll actually share with the audience it was actually I think it was 2009 so i actually didn't start making changes in the business until like 2010 2011 but I was a personal trainer working full time. And you know this, there's a lot of scarcity in the gym business, right? In the fitness Mm -hmm. industry in general, there's a lot of sort of gym owners that are worried that trainers are going to leave and take the clients. There's trainers are worried that clients are quitting on them all the time. So, you know, as someone who is steeped in that mentality, the only way to make more money in our industry was to just work more. And I became that person who was just like, I will take on anyone, anytime, anywhere. And because you're worried if you don't take them on, someone else is going to take them on. Like, right, you just feel this level of, I need to just work more. And I had this moment, it was a Friday night. I was driving across town, like 20 minutes uh, to train one client at eight o'clock at night for $15. Mm -hmm. And I had this moment of like, what am I actually doing right now? Like, how did I get here? And I think for a lot of us in the gym space, we get into it because we absolutely love what we do. And we love helping people. And we have a passion for fitness and body transformation or whatever but sometimes it gets to the point or it can get to the point where you're utterly exhausted and you, are, you never stop to ask yourself how you're managing your energy. Like what's, the, you know, what's this, the game plan here? Where do we want to eventually get to? And I loved fitness my entire life so it was never an idea that I wasn't gonna be in fitness. But I think getting into personal training and I was teaching you know, 12 fitness classes a week and personal training up to 12 clients a day, the grind can wear on you. And as much as you love your clients and as much as you love what you do at the end of the day, I think for me, it was about really more time, freedom, and autonomy. And Mm -hmm. that was a moment that I had just read the four hour work week by Tim Ferriss, of course, like most people do. And I remember reading it and going like, well, this is nice for Tim, but like, he doesn't understand the fitness industry. He doesn't understand that like we could never do this. And I had to, look at my limiting beliefs about what was possible and how i could at this point it was just about rearranging my schedule to have more time and i was like maybe i could ask my clients to come at different times so they're more you know batched back to back versus having these little random like 30 minute or hour long you know breaks between clients and that was the first thing i did i asked them if they could come 15 minutes earlier come 30 minutes later and i started batching my clients instead of doing 60 minute sessions we went to 30 minute sessions where i had them warm up on their own cool down on their own. And what I noticed was I had a lot less cancellations because people weren't dreading like this hour long training session. They were like, sure, I can definitely do 30 minutes. And I didn't just cut my prices in half. I wasn't like, normally it's an hour, uh, for hundred bucks, now it's just fifty bucks. I said it usually is an hour for hundred bucks. Now it's seventy bucks. So they were getting a price break, but I was actually making more per hour. And I made these changes over like the course of about two years. Uh, it took me a long time because you know it's hard to ask your clients to pay more. It's hard to ask your clients. You think that if you change anything, that they're out, and mm-hmm. that wasn't my experience. Remember, just as much as we need our clients and want our clients, they need and want us too, right? It's a two-way street. And I think sometimes we forget that as trainers, we think, oh, you know, they're the one with the green stuff. So, you know, we have to make (laughs) sure we don't ruffle any feathers or change anything or else they're going to leave. And the the fact of the matter is my clients have been with me for like, you know, five, six, seven, eight years. They wanted to stay with me too and make it work. And so once I started freeing up some time, that was the big thing is how can I free up some time to then be able to pursue the online stuff? And I started as a blogger in 2010 old days
0: i love that and you know you you started off there was there was there's a little nugget in there where you said you know let's not look down on the on the trainers um you know who are continuing to train and who who can because i think about these guys all the time who are just really just amazing trainers and they you know i like the quote not every artist wants to own a gallery yeah but but let me ask you this what what have you noticed from folks who have stayed but they are masters of their craft. I know you probably have friends in this. Um, mm-hmm. What what, if, what are some characteristics or traits that you've noticed um, for those masters of their craft?
1: It was really, you know, the pandemic was really interesting for this because as a business coach for, mm-hmm. online, for online trainers, my business blew up during the pandemic, which is like a weird thing to say because so many people had underwent so much hardship over that time period. But there were so many coaches and trainers coming online scrambling to figure out how to make this thing work digitally that I had more clients than I could even manage. But what was really interesting is I call it the pandemic boomerang. Once gyms opened back up and people start going back in, a lot of these trainers either wanted to stay online and they had to figure out, okay, now that I really do want to stay online and I don't want to go back to the gym, I got to figure out business skills. And it was the ones who really dove in and invested in themselves to learn marketing and sales and all these things that you never learn as a trainer, right? You don't necessarily learn those as a trainer. So I had a lot of people who uh, stayed online and then I had a good amount of people who said, You know what, I really miss being in person with people. They're maybe more extroverted. They felt really lonely just being at home by themselves on Zoom all day. Um, So, a good amount of them just said, I really like the energy of being in person. And maybe they didn't go back full time, but they certainly went back part time. And so, I think you have to have the temperament. You need to be a people person. You need to, um, you know, and you also have to just really love learning about fitness. You know, I think that's the biggest thing. And the way that I think about compliance, quote unquote, compliance, whether it's uh, compliance in your job or whether it's compliance online, you know, I've been doing this for 12 years, There's been many iterations of Jill fit over the last 12 years. And I think in order to stay excited about what you're doing, you have to, continue to learn new skills. And so if you're an in-person trainer, you might just geek out on like the biochemistry and hormones, and you want to geek out on physiology and anatomy and like all these kind of things. You have to have that temperament online. It's different. You have to geek out on marketing and sales and messaging and copywriting and all these other skills. So I would say it's the person who really loves to geek out on the science, the person who is a people person, the person who wants to connect with people on a daily basis, FaceTime, doesn't want to be, you know, I mean, I spend a lot of time on the computer. So it's it's totally different. But I think... You also, regardless of how you work, you need to find ways to not feel drained all the time. So maybe that's more control over your schedule. Maybe that's bringing in better clients. Maybe that's charging more. You know, I was trying to think about the reasons why people burn out. And oftentimes it's because they're either not doing what they need to fill up their own emotional battery, right? Their own mental, emotional battery. And look, being in the service industry, you know, this, Kevin, it's a lot of output, right? It's like you get home. As much as you love what you do, you are drained. The last thing you want to do is get online. And for me, it was like write a blog. I was like, are You kidding me? I have no thoughts in my head. I just want to like zone out on Netflix. But you have to be someone who, you know, figures out a way to manage your energy. You're up, oftentimes you're doing split shifts, you're up at the gym at 5 a.m., you're home at eight o'clock at night. So you have to figure out what, how do I work best? And how am I filling out my cup? And do my clients fill up my cup or are they draining? And if there are draining clients, maybe we need to phase them out or graduate them or do something to where we're bringing in clients that are maybe better fits for us, which is hard when you're in person, right? Because you're sort of the mercy mm-hmm. of like who walks through the door. But online, you get to pick your audience. So if you have a client online that is not a good fit or not aligned, there's a better coach out there for them. And that goes a long way. The client coach matching system the energy of that goes a long way to sort of maintaining your level of compliance and excitement about where you're, where you're training or what you're doing.
0: I love that. And, yeah. you know, you, you, you said this boomerang and I, and I, I have this, you know, I've been in, in New York and I obviously moved, but I have said this, uh, you know, frequently over the past, you know, 12 to 18 months that yeah, the pendulum slash boomerang happened, but at the same token, would you, would you agree that the the trainer who has learned how to uh, add the online platform to their business um, is now a more powerful weapon if they also have access to the in-person training, whether it's, you know, in a new suburb that they move to or whatever. But would you, would you argue that that's a, that's a huge weapon for the, you know, the trainer that may only have, like you said, they might be an extrovert, but only for 20 hours or they, right?
1: Totally. Yeah. I mean, to me, that's definitely the future of the space is even if you absolutely love in-person training being able to build your personal brand. To me, there's no downside to that, right? Even if you just never decide, even if you decide to maybe monetize it years from now, there's nothing bad about building your own personal brand. Yes, it takes time and it definitely takes you know, consistency, but I do think that building an audience online, you can do whatever you want with that. Those are like the easiest clients for me. I'll just tell you like behind the scenes as a business coach, there's two types of clients. There's someone who comes in who has no audience and like no platform, but they're ready to learn the business skills. And that's probably most of the people I work with, right? They have all these great offers. They have great sales pages, right? They have a website. They have all the nuts and bolts, but they have no one to to sell to. Then the other type of client I get is someone who comes in who already has the audience, like has really built it over time and is like, I need to learn business because I'm just not making any money with this platform. And the second type of person is honestly the easiest because they just have people paying attention. And so even if you're in person, it does behoove you to build your online brand because you can do whatever you want with that, whether that turns into a podcast or a book or, you know, virtual training, or just say you want to move away, right? You can put your people online. So I would say, and and I think it works the other way too, Kevin. I think it's, it's definitely the people I see who are the most successful online have in-person experience. That's a huge piece of it is when people come online and they literally just got their certification last week and their first clients are virtual clients. I'm like, Ooh, Maybe go to the gym for six months. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It really, it's fine, but it is also one of those things. They don't have the level of confidence that a seasoned trainer does. You know, you're in the gym you have to be in an authority role. You're, you know, telling, I remember being, I was a personal trainer at 18. I'm telling, I'm working with like 50 year olds. You know, you have to have a level of confidence about you to deliver, uh, the workout and that proficiency transfers online. And so I think the people who struggle the hardest is people who are trying to start their their business from scratch with no in person experience either.
0: Hmm. You said something that that caught my eye or my ears. Um, you, you said, you know, if somebody comes to you with a with a brand slash an audience, what would you quantify as a minimum maybe this isn't a thing, but a minimum viable or a minimum minimum like brand or audience that that you're like, oh wow, this is this is perfect. You don't need more than this, you're good.
1: Yeah, there's not like a certain number. What I look at mostly is engagement, right? So I'll ask questions like, so there's kind of like a couple of things that we look at to look at, okay, is this, um, so like three things I would say that, a successful launch depends on number one, number of people, number of total people you're selling to, right? So for example, if you have a larger platform, if you have more people on social media, if you have a bigger email list, uh, if you are willing to do paid traffic, like stuff like that, like do how many people do we have paying attention, like total, right? That's number one. However, you can have a ton of people that you get through doing ads. Those people don't know you yet, don't have a relationship with you. They might be more cold leads. They're not going to be ready to buy, right? So total number is not the, the end all be all. It helps, mm-hmm. If you have more eyes, but it's not the end-all, be-all. The second is the more nuanced piece of it, which is, do, do these people trust you? Like, what's the level of trust with this audience? Then I look at things like, how many DMs are you receiving a week? Like, how many conversations are you having in your DMs? What are your story views on Instagram and Facebook like? Um, what, what's your open rates on your emails? Uh, you know, what's the engagement like in the comment section? What's the saves like on your posts? I'm literally asking like, do your people care, right? Do they care about you? Do they Are they opening your emails because they're just so excited to get it because they just want to learn from you? That will give us an insight into like what the level of trust is with those people, because it's really easy to just be a numbers game, right? Just have more people paying attention. You can pay for followers, you can pay for leads, you can pay for all that stuff. But if they don't feel a connection to you, they don't feel like you can truly help them, they don't see you as an authority or, or feel connected to you, they're not going to buy. So those are the two things. And the last piece, of course, is the biggest piece, which is your business skills, marketing, sales, messaging, copywriting, um, you know, and those things, when I say skills, I mean, truly skills, those things are not just, you can't phone them in, the menu, you have to practice those. And those are, we look at a launch. We do launch debriefs at Jill or When I do launch debriefs with my clients, those are the three main things that we evaluate. And that to me, if you have that total package, it helps us look at, we have some metrics like conversion numbers and stuff that we look at and if we're not hitting our conversion numbers we go which of these three pillars is breaking down so that's the thing is you you and i both know people who have massive followings but maybe they just grew overnight because of a meme account right like a Mm -hmm. like a meme account would be an example of an account that has uh, a lot of people but there's very low trust there which means they're probably be able to sell much you know a meme account might sell like t-shirts but that's not a viable business right so like you think Mm -hmm. to yourself Yes, I would much rather, much rather work with someone who had a quote unquote smaller audience, maybe a couple thousand people, but had high trust with those people. And I do have clients like that and they absolutely crush and there are multiple six figure business owners than people who just have like massive followings, but have like zero relationship with other people.
0: I love that. And, you know, I think about um, the answer to that question as it relates to what, where, where do you find and, and this, is, this probably comes back to your, your current mastermind, but where, where do you find your current learnings and your current niches? Uh, like, where, where do you spend the most of your time, like you personally, based mm-hmm. off of your audience? Is it, is it seasonal? Is it, um, do, do you rotate like, you know, this, this quarter you're gonna spend it on copywriting and troubleshooting, like, you, you know, mm-hmm. audience building? Like, how, mm-hmm. where, I, I wonder, where do you spend your time on subjects?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, so at this point, uh, you know, this is, you grow a level of, uh, like proficiency over certain things. Right. So like, I don't, I'm one of the things that I'm constantly looking at is when you get, and people always have this idea that internet business is unpredictable, right? It's like, oh, you never know where your revenue is going to come from. It's like, it actually is predictable. Once you understand your, how you're launching, and you understand like lead numbers and some of the conversion numbers that we talk about. So it's actually, you're not going into a launch blind. So once you have that, it's, like we, at JillFit, we run a, we have an entire, we launch out our calendar for the entire year. So we know exactly what we're launching. We have a, pro- a pretty tight product suite. So one of the things that we do with our clients, and this is what we do at JillFit, is we have what we call an Ascension model. So an Ascension model is what's the customer journey look like, right? So maybe you have this at the gym where someone comes in, you know, they get maybe a free session or something, then they get a personal trainer, then they, then they maybe graduate to like a nutrition coach or like whatever, right? Like you, you think to yourself, what's the next logical place for this client to go? And so at Jill That we have basically three different business containers based on where people are at in terms of like how successful. So we have beginner to business, intermediate, plus, and then we have an advanced container. And so when we have all that in place, we figure out what makes sense for the business. What do we launch where? And also because it's an ascension model, if you can picture in your head a pyramid. That's what it looks like, where the bottom of the pyramid is where we want the largest amount of clients, because then they go up the pyramid as they become more proficient and as they become better business owners, whatever. Right? So, our beginner business program is at the bottom of that pyramid. And then a certain percentage of people will graduate to the next level. And then a certain percentage of people will graduate to the top level. And so, our only goal all the time at DrillFit is to get as many people in the bottom of the pyramid as possible. We want as many people as possible to consume that beginner product, that beginner course, it's a six-month course. So we spend the majority of our time uh, getting leads for that, nurturing leads for that, figuring out our messaging for that. those sales. We launch twice a year. Uh, and then delivering an amazing product there. Because we know that if people have success there, it's going to be an easy upsell into the next container. Does that make sense? So when you think about like high level, this is a 35,000-foot view. When I mm-hmm. think about it's not really individual skills so much as it is, it's perfecting this launch for this one product. And it's a lot of, uh, it's a lot of pressure, right? It's like, Oh, we launched this thing twice a year. It needs to work, but we've launched it now like six or seven times. And every single time we learn something different about how to perfect it. So for example, this last launch we had in, I guess it was September. It was, uh, it was a great launch, but we had some things like our numbers weren't what they had been previously, uh, in terms of our conversion numbers, we actually ended up revenue generation was actually higher, but we had a lot more people in the funnel and it just didn't convert at what we had thought it was going to. So then I have to look at it and go, is this a messaging issue? Is this a trust issue? And then I decide what to work on based on that. And so we were like, this is probably a messaging issue. So for me, I start learning, how can I, Steer people towards the sale a little bit better? How can I make this easier for people? How can I lower the barrier to entry for them? How can I message this so they feel like they have to do it? Like, so it's more those kinds of things. Um, And I'm sure you do this kind of stuff for the gym all the time. It's like, how do we message this so people feel like this is the next logical step for them? And so we spend a lot of time, if you think about it that way, if you have an ascension model or you kind of like know what your product suite is, then you just think, where's this? Where's stop one? And Mm -hmm. you start there because the bigger, the to the bigger the pool of people in spot one, the bigger the potential of pools for people in spots
0: two and three. Does that make sense? Absolutely, yeah. And you know, for the gym, I kind of think of it uh, maybe uh, laterally uh, of the bell curve, sure. right? Like we try to finish, we, we try to fit the uh, as many people as possible into the middle of that bell curve. That two to three time a week yeah. sweet spot for a semi-private. That's our, you know, that's the bottom of, of of your triangle. So no, I yep. really like that. I also like how you you're technically you're just reverse engineering. Where you're gonna spend your time. If I if I gather one thing from that, it's that you you look at your business in this flywheel, and then you say, okay, I noticed that the conversions weren't as good. Okay, we're gonna spend more time there. Or I like you're you're really just a, a student of this game, and if I have this correctly, your your focus is on continually kind of figuring out how to build this rocket ship as good as you can, this Jill Fit rocket ship, uh, and and that's just a, a a constant you know game for you, and that's really what makes you uh stand out in the industry as a well, mentor. It's just to tweaking, many right? and, like if you think about yeah. it just
1: tweaking, what I notice yep. is that people have are so impatient that like they'll just create something new. And I'm like, but that had a ton of potential. Stay with that one thing. I think sometimes we we get excited about creating something new or oh that didn't work. We scrap it all. And at Jill Fit you have to be very patient. It's kind of like a hurry up and wait scenario where you're like, cool, we have this thing. But a lot of times this is what I see, especially with like newer online fitness pros, is That they're so scared to take action when in actuality, action is the only way to illuminate what you need to work on, right? Like at the end of the day, you think about it, you have to sort of just act. You have to action something. So that's why I always tell my student, my new students, I'm like, hey, you have got to launch. Just do a launch. You will learn. I don't care if no one joins the thing, you will learn so much. Action is the great elucidator. You literally don't know where your weak points are. Either yourself or the business or the launch or whatever, the product, until you do the thing. And that's really hard, especially for, you know, like perfection. I work with a lot of like perfectionist type A people. They just want to make sure that it's going to be successful. I think if you take off this idea that, um, and you more treat it like I was talking about building a business, and you know this too, it's a skill. And just because you're a good trainer doesn't mean you're going to be a good business owner. There are two different skill sets, but you have to treat it like any other skill you're learning. You're learning a new language or you are, uh, learning a musical instrument. You know, I mean, I know you got a dog recently. I, I had never had a dog before and I got my puppy seven years ago. And I was like, I have no idea how to, to train a dog. So you just have to be gentle with yourself as you're learning that stuff. So why would it be any different with building a business? The idea that like you're just gonna know what to do and be good at it, like, just not true. And so you have to give yourself enough buffer time and and be gentle with yourself as you're learning and not expect everything to be perfect. In fact, the people who come in and expect it's going to be A plus B equals C, they're in for a major wake up call, and oftentimes they end up tapping out, right? Because they're just their expectations are so high. And then they get disappointed and frustrated and they don't have that tenacity to keep going. And so, you know, yes, you reverse engineer it, but you have to find out where your weak points are. In order to do that, you need to publish,
0: <laughs> you right. know, you
1: need to get the lesson somehow.
0: No, I like that. And, you know, uh, similarly, you mentioned the, the skill of business building, in addition to for your focus for 2023 is building your team. Yeah. Uh, how How involved are you on that? Have you hired a manager? Are you are you like no i'm gonna i got this or like what what's can you tell me what you're learning there
1: yeah that's that's been major so earlier in the conversation i sort of said in order to you know continue being that in-person trainer and like loving that job, you need to have something you're learning. And so for me as a business owner, it's the same exact thing, except it's business skills. And what happened as a result of 2020 was really interesting. By the end of 2020, I was, because I had so many people like just needing uh, mentorship and wanting Mm -hmm. to learn internet business because of lockdown, um, I just kept taking on -on one-on-one clients. I was like, well, I don't know where to put you, so I guess I'll just take you on. I was on zoom like eight hours a day, most days of the week. And I was like, Jill, this is the gym all over again. (laughs) Like literally Mm -hmm. you just recreated your, your job in the gym, but now it's at a desk. And so that was my major wake-up call to be like, I can't be a solopreneur. Like, I can't be a glorified solopreneur. And as a lot of solopreneurs, I stayed very lean at Jill Fit because I just didn't want to manage people. I didn't want to have a whole bunch of meetings on my calendar. I didn't want to be responsible for people's welfare. Now I got to do benefits and salary and all this kind of stuff. And I was scared, you know, and I was like, I want to be able to go to Australia for three weeks and like not have anyone bother me. And, Hmm. but... I also was like, I am in an autonomy trap right now. The reason why I got, I grew my own business for autonomy and I literally am in a prison of my own making at this point. And so I joined a mastermind with James Wedmore, who has been doing this even longer than us. Um, and his whole thing and the reason why I joined this particular mastermind was because it really is centered around uh, hiring, building and, and leading, I won't even say managing leading or team. And I was like, this is the skill set that I need. And I saw the way he was doing it. And the dude works like one hour a day. And I was like, okay, how <laughs> teach me your ways? Because I was picturing, I'm going to, now I'm going to train these people up. Now I'm going to be having to give them Zula, the stay on them, micromanage them. Right. That's the, the story you tell. And you also tell the story of no one can do it as good as me, or they don't care about the business as much as I do. Um, and I think for a lot of people, that is their reality. They bring on a VA and all of a sudden they're giving the VA like to do list constantly. Right. So then now they just double their own work. Um, but I knew that I wanted to do it differently. And I wanted to bring in team that felt enrolled in the vision and felt a sense of ownership over their part of the business. So we already had a part time va who had been with me since 2014 she's amazing she's since gone full-time with me and then we brought in what's called an integrator now i guess this would be if you went on to upwork.com or indeed.com this would probably be like you know your head of operations or a project manager but we use a um a system in our business have you ever heard of the book rocket fuel by gino gino wickman
0: Wickman? yeah yeah (laughs) so
1: that's our that's how we set up the business to where we have a visionary and we have an integrator. Now, when you're a solopreneur, you're doing both of those things, right? You're you're the visionary, you're the idea person, you're the creative, and then you're also the person who's like doing the admin and doing the logistics and doing the tech side of things and all that kind of stuff. Luckily, we already had the admin stuff taken care of, but the integrator came in. And the job of the integrator is to like know the business even better than the visionary does. And this was a hard role to find someone for because I didn't want someone who was waiting on me. I wanted someone who could be proactive and also excited about where we could take the business. They felt enrolled in the vision. They felt a sense of ownership and purpose within the vision. But as the leader, right, as the manager, as the leader, it was up to me to give them the freedom to do that. You know this, you have employees, right? So They don't Mm -hmm. believe me. They don't want you micromanaging them either. And I certainly did not want to micromanage. So as a good manager or leader, you have to hold their hand. But at some point you have to let the hand go and you have to be like you have to give them space to mess up if that's what it's going to be. Right. And space to uh, have clear communication with you and honest communication with you and come to you if there's an issue and feel safe doing that. Um, I didn't want a bunch of people I was just going to give task lists to. That's not what I wanted. I wanted someone who felt enrolled in the vision and could see the possibility so that if the entire Jill Fit pie got bigger, their slice would get bigger. And that's Mm -hmm. really what I wanted to enroll is find those people who are going to be proactive, who are going to be excited about what we're creating and really felt like they had a seat at the table. I think sometimes you get a VA, they just feel like they're, you know, you're like a taskmaster, like here's a bunch of stuff to do. I didn't want that. I didn't want someone relying on me. It was really, I had this moment and this was uh this is about 4 or 5 months into hiring this integrator role we were doing a launch and it was the last day of the launch and it was a low ticket offer it was like a $40 offer and so we had a lot of sales coming in obviously the last 24 hours and i was actually with my team at the time and my va messaged me and she said hey just so you know something's going on with kajabi which is our software And people aren't getting their login credentials. And we had like, we probably had like 250 sales come in the last 24 hours. And she's like, it's happening like to almost everybody, which is a lot of people. And she Mm -hmm. said, "Um, but I just wanted to give you the heads up. We're taking care of it, but just so you know, it's happening. I was like, cool. Do you need anything for me? She's like, nope, we're handling it. And I was sitting next to my integrator at the time. And he's like on support with Kajabi. They're dealing with it. No issues. I had zero stress. These are our clients, right? It's -hmm. it's Sunday night at eight o'clock at night. And I feel completely at peace because I know my team is cares about our clients enough to get this done now. And my VA even said like, Hey, if this was like a different job, I think I would have just waited till Monday morning to do this. Like, you know, but I feel so like attached to our people. I want to make sure they're taken care of. So that Mm -hmm. was a major moment for me to where I can step out of the business and trust, that my team cares about our people just as much if not more than I do. And that's what I wanted to create because I don't want to just give people I don't want to micromanage people right I don't budget meetings on my calendar. I want people who take ownership. And I I think there's a misconception that you go out and find that person. Sure, I think personality-wise yes, there are people who are more likely to be self-starters, but it really depends on you as the manager. How are you showing up in those scenarios? Are you encouraging them to try new things? Or are you shooting down ideas when they come to you? Are you allowing for them to mess up? Or are you like the second anything happens, they feel like they're going to get fired? And so I was very aware of like, what kind of manager do I want to be and leader do I want to be? And I know that they're looking to me as an example, which includes even some of the emotional stuff in the business, right? If something's going sideways, if I get emotionally hijacked and all of a sudden I'm scared and I'm nervous and like they're going to take their cue from me. So it's really made me... Learn, and I'm still not there, I'm like 80% of the way there, but it's really started to make me ask these questions of like, okay, this is a new skill for me and then check myself and really figure out how I'm showing up because I know that how I show up is gonna help them show up better too. Does that make sense? So this is like, it's a longer conversation, but that to me has been so fun these last two years. And if you're listening to this and you're thinking about taking someone on or bringing on a manager or bringing on a, a VA or something, realize that you can create that however you want to. It doesn't have to be this really scary thing where like someone's going to mess up. And also remember like the business isn't that fragile. We've sent out the wrong links. Emails have gone out at the wrong time. Like we've done all those kind of things, but that's not going to make or break your business, right? That's tiny. So realize that you're in a position where like not one single thing wrong that someone does can bring down the business. At the end of the day, I want people to feel a sense of ownership. And they'll only feel that way if I give them the breathing room to do
0: that. I love that. I really love that answer. I love how you, you really just summarized that. Um, it, it, let me ask you <laughs> sorry, this I'm, about- I
1: know, I talk a lot. Sorry.
0: <laughs> no, 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 no. That it, it was perfect because um, I've read traction and rocket fuels on yeah. my list. So, they're great. Um, yes, yeah, so we do the they, traction
1: stuff too where everyone on the team has a metric that they're responsible for and stuff like that too, which has been great.
0: Ooh, that was one of my questions. KPIs. Yeah. Have, have do you used those with your team? Do you have they changed over the years? Is it is it a triangle? Do you have a triangle up on your wall that just said, <laughs> like, like, how, how do KPIs fit into your uh, leadership and, and for your team?
1: Yeah. So one of the really cool things about having the integrator in that role is that they're in charge of that. So like everyone on the team actually reports to the integrator. They don't report to me. And everyone on the team has at least one metric, but most people have have more than one metric that they're responsible for. So every person sets goals. So we have like a growth manager who's in charge of, you know, our Instagram numbers going up or the downloads, you know, for the podcasts. Um, you know, how many conversations are we having in DMs and can really keep track of those metrics. And then uh, our VA looks at things like turnaround time on emails, um, trying to get some of the other ones, like some of the more administrative stuff, like what, what, are, what are those looking at? And, and everyone sets their own goals, by the way. And to me, I don't need my team to blow it out of the water. That's not like, hey, why are we not growing hand over foot on Instagram? It's like, If we if we grow by like one or two percent per month, I'm happy with that. Right. And then we just look at if we're not hitting that, why not? And how can we do something better? It's never like a right or wrong, good or bad. It's more like it's all for learning. So cool. Here's what we think we can do. Here's where we think we can get our downloads. Awesome. What's that look like? So the integrator, their KPIs include our um, number one's revenue. Obviously, that's what they're in charge of. But they're also in charge of like lead generation. They're in charge of, um, you know, they Oversee like the the ads people and like all that kind of stuff. I don't have a metric, which I'm like lucky I don't have one. Uh, but everyone <laughs> on the team has one, so we break it down into like you know everything comes from our revenue is just a indicator of how the performance of everything else in the business. So are we getting in new clients? Are we retaining those clients? How long are we retaining those clients? Are like what what's the average uh, cart spend for our customers? Like looking at all of those things. Um, Yeah. And we use like a monday.com. I don't know, like from a logistical perspective, we use monday.com. I don't know if people have used, heard that maybe Trello or Asana or something like that. We have, I love Monday. It's definitely like the interface can be a little bit confusing for people, but that's Mm -hmm. where we keep all that stuff. And so everyone on the team can see it all times.
0: Love that. Love that. And, you know, you mentioned um, the four hour work week, you mentioned rocket fuel as, as books that you've, you know, kind of Mm -hmm. where, you know, they, they got that little spark in them is there any other book that you've read in like the last 12 to 18 months that gave you that, that same spark?
1: Mm-hmm. Um. I'm trying to think, you know, I haven't really read all that many business books re- recently.
0: Oh, I it could be the, non-business.
1: Yeah. I love the psychology of money. That was great. Oh Yeah.
0: Morgan. That was really
1: great. Yeah. yeah. I love that. That was really great. 4,000 weeks. Was yep. really awesome. That was probably my probably my favorite book from last year. For those it's it on productivity, um, I'm really big into energy management. And this is what's hard, right? Like, so part of this, like we whoa, that term scaling always gets thrown around. It's like, oh, I want to scale. And hmm. what people don't realize is that in order to scale, number one, you need to get more efficient, right? You need to get better at the things that you're doing, but you also need more output, like a lot more output. So one of the things that I'm like radical about is energy management. We've talked about this a little bit from a personal training perspective. I read a book. This is, it this must have been in 20, 2009 maybe. It was called The Power of Full Engagement. And um, this book still holds up. It's it's absolutely awesome. If you are someone who feels like you are busy, but not productive, this is the Mm -hmm. book to read. And I read it as a full-time personal trainer. And it completely opened my eyes to not managing time, but instead managing energy. And what I noticed is especially stepping into a leadership role, stepping into having team, I have a lot more responsibilities uh, than I ever have. And I have a lot more, um, you know, I, I do zoom calls with my clients, not necessarily one-on-ones, but I do a lot of group calls. I'll be on those calls for like two three hours and they're long calls. And so for me, things like focus and presence, uh, and boundaries have been so much more important than ever, because if you're trying to put a, if you have a lot of output, those little tiny energy leaks make a huge difference, and it's hard, especially online, because you know, as a personal brand, people want to DM and they want to take you to coffee and like all those kind of things. And those things are great, and I, you know, I always appreciate that. But sometimes there are times where I have to tell a client like, hey, like we meet every single week on Zoom, so I can't answer your question in a DM between calls. Like, just come on Tuesday. So there's like, you have to be like extremely vigilant with your boundaries and not like a mean way and not like in a way that you're an asshole, but like in a way that like even tiny energy leaks affect how you show up in your business. I'm really trying to show up in like a very present way and a very like full on, um, uh, focused way with my clients. It would actually be a disservice to my clients if I was leaking energy. That's how I look at it. Like I can't show up to them and I just went on, I went on vacation. I was in Australia for three weeks and Amazing. I worked a little bit. And I remember being there and being like, this, I need to take this time because it's unfair of my clients. It's unfair to my clients for me to be drained, period. And when I made it about that, I felt less, quote, I guess, guilty or whatever. I was like, I need to fill up my cup. And so the powerful engagement is probably a great place to start with that. And then 4,000 weeks was also awesome for that in terms of just understanding you as a person. And it's weird because, you know, this, when we work in this way, especially online, and you're creative, and you're writing posts, and you're doing podcasts, and you're writing email newsletters. Completely different way of working than training people at the gym, right? Mm-hmm. Training is amazing, and it's very, uh, what's the word? Like it's just very like systematic, right? It's like I remember I have clients I'd have seven or eight in a row, and just like boom, 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 boom. And then you get home, and you're like, I need to write a social media post for my business, <laughs> my online stuff, and you're like, your brain doesn't work that way, right? It's like it's totally in a different headspace. Which is why most important thing for trainers if you're trying to grow your online stuff is you need time. Because it's not just the time it takes to write a caption, right? That's 20 minutes. That's 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. What really takes – you need time padding. You need, like, time around time. You need, like, time to think and time to walk and time to meditate and, like, whatever it is that you do. For me, it's working out and leisure walking. But you need to sleep and you need, like – you need these times where you're able to fill up your creative cup. You're not a machine. You're not a robot. You might be in the gym – but that the ser- being the service industry is draining, right? You don't come home and immediately have like massive ideas for a, an email <laughs> newsletter. You need time for that, and I think that's a different way of working. And you're if you're coming from the gym and you're trying to come online, you might get frustrated that like it's not happening fast enough, or that's not working for me, or I haven't written since I, I haven't written anything <laughs> like a caption since so that was like in high school or something. So it's a lot of just trying to figure out what your personal flow is going to be. So I would say for trainers listening definitely invest time and energy into understanding energy management over just time management because it's really about how can i maximize my focus and my presence so i don't have to be working a ton of hours but when i sit down to work i'm extremely focused on what i'm doing
0: i love that and and you know i've seen trainers who struggle with that energy management whether they're teaching group fitness and then they're doing personal training and then they're doing semi private oh, yeah. and and then they're like, Well, I'm happier in one of them, but I have to do the other two. And you know, they can't say no. Um, mm-hmm. but they, they get to that that point too, like you said, where they either read one of these books or they listen listen to you, or they you know they they hear somebody say, Look, you, you're gonna get to this point and you you're just gonna be like, Enough. Um, but I really, I really like that well Speaking and then it comes of, out
1: in things like resentment and impatience right. and like all these kind of things, which are unfair to your clients, right? Your mm-hmm. clients are showing up, they're paying you. To service them. And when you show up and you have a impatient energy, you're irritated, uh, you know, you're hangry, right? Like all these things, it's not fair to them. That's right. your problem. It's not them, right? They're just showing up right. for a workout. They're just showing up on a Zoom call. It's your job as a service provider, as a coach, to understand what you need to show up as your, at your best. It's selfish In, if you don't manage it.
0: it oh, that's, that's a good one right there selfish <laughs> if you don't manage your energy no it's true because you have to give it right you're you're 100 right speaking yeah. of, of energy how do you use i know you said you you have like some non-negotiables you have your workouts and then you have your walk mm-hmm. how do you use your your workouts are you someone that's gonna put um you know music on and just go to work and do the workout or are you also like taking notes on your workout do you do you listen to podcasts while you go on your walk like how do you mm-hmm. what's your creative space and and where do you where do you Uh, What's that energy management speaking of?
1: (laughs) Yeah. So I have something I call anchor actions and Mm. anchor actions is it's from the book. um, It's, it's my, my framework, but it's inspired by the powerful engagement. And it's this idea that some activities uh, give us energy back and other activities drain us. And so while, and maybe you've had the experience where maybe you're training a client you can be simultaneously like like pumped up and filled up because you're like wow that person's getting results and at the same time drained. So it's really important that you know which activities are draining and which ones fill you up. And it's this idea of choosing. And everyone's going to be different with this. At least three, probably three, max three things that you're committed to doing during your day or during your week that are going to help you refill your energetic cup. And so some people, you know, need to take a nap. Some people are nappers, right? Some people need to read a book. Some people need to journal in the morning. Some people need to get in bed by 10 o'clock. Some people, uh, like for me, it's always weight training. It's at least a 30 minute leisure walk and it's at least eight hours of sleep. And so I know that that's hard for you, but I've literally been mid launch And I'd be like, there's a shitload of stuff I still have to do, but I have to go to bed because I have to get eight hours. So it's a thing that you're not willing to compromise on. There's a ton of other potential behaviors, right? Some people will take a a bath or do foam rolling or take a yoga class, like obviously all these things, but it's also identifying what trains you. I think a lot of times we think some of these more relaxing activities have actually shown in research that, that watching TV is like it is relaxing, but only for the first like 30 to 60 minutes. If you watch more than 30 to 60 minutes, you actually start being energetically drained. I don't know if you ever had that experience, like on a Saturday where you just like laying on the couch for eight hours. And then you're like, why am I exhausted? <laughs> I haven't even done right. anything today. Right. So you have to identify what are some of the things that drain you and what are the, some of the things that charge you up for some people? It's like, I want to go and go on a walk with a friend and you know drink coffee. So for me, when it comes to those things, I don't like being in the gym for a long time. So my workouts are short. They're intense, and I don't really spend a whole lot of time socializing. Uh, so yeah, for me, it's just more like music, weight training. Then my walks, depends on if my how bra- full my brain is. I love podcasts, but if I've been like on Zoom all day with business clients, the last thing I'm going to do is listen to a business podcast. So I'll put on music, or I'll just be quiet. I'll just be oh, silenced. It's fine. And then I, I do average about nine to 10 hours of sleep a night, but eight is my sort of my cutoff.
0: No, I love that and that's it like
1: everything else do your best right everything else whatever but yeah. those three things are' non-negotiable for me
0: <laughs> it's it's funny that the anchor actions I think people especially TV for instance yeah. um you know people people don't realize um, but I, I actually had a story of somebody gave me um two books they gave me the life-changing uh, magic of tidying up yeah. but uh, the the cover on top was spark joy because they were like it was a compliment to me some, I can be a little on the <clears throat> messy side, but they 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 <laughs> they gave me the spark joy because they were they they you know they said look this this place I just wanted to thank you as a mm-hmm. you know this place gives me joy and 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 I was like whoa that's powerful and then they were like yeah also read the second book and I was like oh okay <laughs> got it point, I'm messy point so yes yeah. something's <laughs> gotta
1: I mean something you know you pick and choose your battles Kevin
0: That's true that's true um in in one of your uh, podcasts that fitbiz you by the way, for anyone not listening, you need to listen. Those, those are amazing. Each one is topical and highly recommended. Um, but uh, in one of your episodes, you mentioned events as being like a, a, another non-negotiable for you and totally. part of your learning process. What what makes events so, so special for you? And then also, because you also host them, how do you, actually, I'll start there before I get to the second question.
1: Yeah. So, you know, what's really interesting and you know this, you've been to a lot of events. I'm sure you've been to events that, you know, you host events and you're hosting the, the Fittest Conference in St. Louis and all these kind of stuff. But, you know, it's one of those things where a lot of people don't go to events because I consider going to a live event, like a percenter action, meaning that so many people don't go that when someone goes, it really means a lot to me, right? I host live events. I, you know, whatever I host about uh, six to eight events a year between like different different programs and some of them are for the public too. But, um, but it's so fun for me to see someone who has never been to a live event come to one for the first time. It like just completely changes them. They're like, this is amazing. I'll never not come to a live event now. So it's one of those things that's really hard sometimes to sell because people, if they've never had the experience of being at a live event, they sort of don't know what the magic is. And so they just keep not coming. And I get it, especially I work with a lot of moms. You have, you have to worry about childcare. a lot of trainers, right? They don't get the money mm-hmm. if, they don't, if they miss those clients. Like there's a lot of things that I understand. There's a million reasons why people can't come, can't figure it out. It's, you know, it's obviously flight, it's accommodations, not to mention the ticket. But that's why I always really appreciate when someone does because I know how much work it is to get there. But seeing people have the experience of it, they're like, wow, that was amazing. That was so much better than I ever imagined it could be. And at that point, they're hooked. So it's one of those things where like it's easy to sell, but only after the fact, if that makes sense. So, mm-hmm. you know, I really appreciate when people do it. I feel like hosting them and also attending them are one or actions. For me, they have a massive, massive place in my heart because most of the business collaborations or partnerships that I've done over the last 12 years, I've met the person I collaborated with at a live event. Danny J is my podcast co-host and we met at a live event in 2013 that we hosted together. In 2012, I went to a week-long yoga retreat with Jen Sinkler and Nagar Fanuni. We went on to create the Radiance Retreat, which brought in over $250,000 over the next five years. Um, my business partner now, Shantae Cofield, aka The Movement Maestro, her and I met at a live event. In Actually, we're here like locally, but we met at... Um, a live event that I was hosting that she came to. And so it's just one of those things that there's no easier way to connect with your internet friends than actually going in person. And it says so much about someone's willingness to connect, to network, to collaborate, and to really be in each other's corners. I think that's one of the things with online business, it can feel really lonely. It can feel really like, does anyone else get this? Especially if you live in a smaller town and you're like, no one else does this here. You have to go to live events because you be in a room with people who all do what you do, who all have the same struggles, all the same frustrations, all experience the same successes. And the connection there and the collaborations and the affiliate partnerships and all these things that come out of these things, you can never explain to someone beforehand, only after the fact they're like, that was amazing. I'll never not do that. And so for me... It's been massive to me. That's my favorite part of the mastermind I'm a member of is the live events. Uh, like to me, that's the best part of it. Uh, my mastermind, we have three live events. We have a legacy course that has two live events. We run a, a once a year program or once a year uh, event called Boss Up for the public, um, and it's been everything. It's amazing. I wish yeah. I could like shake people. Do you ever that feeling, really? Like, just like shake somebody, like, just go. Like just no. Be I'm
0: I'm with you, and and I'm I'm literally smiling because of how happy that 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 response made me like because that was that was my there's there was two events i went to the long beach fitness summit uh for perform better back in like 2008 and i was like i flew across the country i was like i gotta do this there's gonna be people here doing so much now keep in mind i have a four-year degree and i've been you know doing a lot of this stuff at you know in new york city so you have to be current and i got there and i was like wow this is amazing the energy is amazing and then i saw some of the presenters and i was like oh my gosh and then I went to another fitness event and I thought it would be the same, but it wasn't. It was more about the community. That was the fitness mm-hmm. summit, the aforementioned mm-hmm. fitness summit. And yeah. like you said, the number of people that I continually have talked to, I had I had people that were employees, like like yeah. people that work for me from that. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I just just the um yeah, yeah. that it that, is. that, that it made really me is. smile.
1: <laughs> you know what's really cool about that too is you know, you and I have been doing this a really long time. And I love that you said you went to perform her in 2008. I went to the first <laughs> one I went to was 2009 and it was, I remember at the time um, really looking up to Rachel Cosgrove, Rachel and Alan Cosgrove, who were still amazing. and I still look up to them. Uh, but I remember approaching Rachel and I was shaking. I was like shaking and I was like, she was speaking. And I was like, I'm just want to let you know, I really love your work and whatever. Like fast forward, I joined their mastermind in 2012 and, you know, now Rachel and I are like friends and we like go snowboarding together and stuff. It's just like such an amazing experience to connect with people that end up becoming your peers and your colleagues and your collaborators and your affiliate partners and JVs. And, and even if it doesn't turn into a business partnership, it's like, I don't know, I have a lot of these people I meet, like they come and they speak at my events, right? They come and they speak as presenters to my mastermind and there's tons of opportunities that way. And it's one of those things that it's, it's so hard for people to say yes to something like this because there is major activation energy, but on the other side of it, you know, it's, it's life-changing.
0: I don't know if you did this on purpose, but you started with the scarcity mindset and talking about how the industry has a lot of scarcity mindset. And then you went to how powerful networking slash making friends is and which is the opposite of the scarcity mindset. I mean, that was, yeah. that was so seamless, Jill. I mean, <laughs> that, that was, that was amazing. Um, but yeah, you you know, uh, I remember talking with Mark Fisher once and he was like, you know, our, our gyms were two miles from each other yeah. and we would refer, we, like at the high point before 2020, we were, we would refer people all the time. Like yeah. we would just, oh, oh, you're moving. Oh, I got somebody for you. I got just a person or, you know, like, and, and because that rising tide lifts all boats, yeah. um, And uh, so yeah, no, I I love that. Um, So how do you going back to events for a second? How do you curate your event? Is it is it different for when you're doing it for the public like your so like for the avatar? Mm -hmm. Is it different for when you're doing um, your high level mastermind? How, How do you go about curating your events?
1: Yep. So last year we did seven events and um, we did four events. The mastermind, we did four events and those are just for people in the mastermind. So they are for you if you're already a member of that. And mostly that is uh, we do a couple of things. It's such a small group. It's usually like 12 to 14 people. And so we do a lot of like hot seats and a lot of uh, like getting in deep in people's business. And I do do some guest speakers for that as well. So people who have businesses uh, at the next level, I try and bring them in to kind of share their own business model, stuff like that. So we usually have like two to two to three speakers at those events. Uh, for Legacy, which is my intermediate program that I do with Shantae, we have two live events. And for those, it's just mostly us. I think we brought in two guest speakers total last year. Um, and those are two days long. And it's mostly, again, a lot about masterminding. Uh, brain shares. We do some teaching in those. I don't really teach a ton in the mastermind because there's they they get access to all my educational portals. So it's like, you know, if they need to learn something, it's in there. So we don't spend a ton of time teaching. It's more about uh, strategy for the business. Like for example, we have, a, we have a live event in a couple weeks for the mastermind, and I'm bringing in pe- my my own team is going to be there to talk to these people about how to bring on team and how to like how it works and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then the last event was a public event. It was called Boss Up, and we had about 80 something people there this year. And it was for Shantae and I um, just to get people in the room. And we actually launched our legacy program for the following year at that event. So just for people listening, just a little behind the scenes, oftentimes for uh, programs that are going to the public where you're just like having an event for an event's sake, oftentimes not super profitable. I can tell you, like my very first live event that I did, I lost like you know, thousands of dollars over time, they can be more profitable, but typically there's going to be, you know, there's going to be probably a pitch at some point, at least there is for us. And the whole idea behind that's not like, Hey, you're going to, it's like not a bait and switch. It's like, you're here spending two full days with us connecting with all these people who are already in our ecosystem. And we want to give you an invitation to take the next step with us. So to me, I see that as a service. So the, so the live event that has to do a part of my container, right? The mastermind or legacy, those are great, but those are mostly around like masterminding, brain share, stuff like that, hot seats. But the ones that are to the public, we use as a, like a launch mechanism. It's like, it's, it's a paid, essentially it's a paid lead magnet, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. No, I love that. You know, what strikes me is that every, every one of your answers to these questions does, does kind of expose, not expose, but tells your business right? How the, how the flywheel goes and how the product feeds the, you know, this, this mentorship. I love that. How, how is that framework literally on a piece of paper? Like, you know, like the, in, in, you know, for Steve jobs or something like, is, Mm -hmm. is there, is there this brilliance on paper somewhere or is this in the, here's the upsell? Is this in (laughs) the, in the, in the mentorship and the mastermind?
1: So everyone gets different, uh, Content, right? So that's the biggest deal with, especially the ascension model, right? It's beginner, intermediate, advanced. So the mm-hmm. thing that you need to figure out as a business owner is who gets what. So the, for the mastermind, for example, it's the smallest container. It's like usually I said, twelve to fourteen people, and it's called strategy and scale, and those are the two main things we focus on. We focus on ascension model and getting more butts in the seats for people's launches. So it's not like, hey, like I don't need to be telling mastermind members to post every day on social, right? They're already doing that. (laughs) Like we don't spend a lot of time on like their big mindset issues or whatever. Like they know they're good, they have success, they're already a six-figure business owner. Um, This is the one that Allie was in last year with me, um, Allie Gilbert, and I know she's gonna be at the event as well. Um, Mm. And so these people are already competent. They already have a level of success. All they need to know is, okay, how do I take the launch that's already doing well and get more people in that launch, right? How do we just maximize that? How do we leverage that more? And then the second piece is the scaling piece, which is um, team, uh, paid traffic, right? Some of these more advanced skills. So you have to know who you're speaking to at each level and what they need. And by the way, those like more those containers that are higher up, that intermediate and advanced level, we do what's called like more of a backend launch for those. We don't do like a hard push. We do more of like a wait list to an application because we're actually looking for the right person. I don't want everybody. I want the right person for this container, right? So when it comes to the beginner, bottom of the pyramid, bottom of the Ascension model, we take everybody, right? I take, t- take anybody who's ready to go, who considers themselves a beginner and wants to learn because we cast the net really wide with that and then as people move up the Ascension model, we're really looking at curating the right group of people for this thing. We have people apply to legacy, which is the intermediate level, and they're just not ready. And we just say, hey, we'd love to see you in FBA, or we'd like to see you you know, take another year to build your list. Like We give people homework, right? Well, like you're not a fit, mm-hmm. but here's what I'd like you to do in the meantime. We turn away people. You know, The mastermind has a, a six-figure sort of buried entry, um, not because it's like an elitist thing, but it's like, hey, I need you to come in with some success that you can share with the rest of the group, right? It can't just be like me coaching with you. I need you to come in and be an expert in something that you've already done well in your business that you can share with everyone else. It's more like what we call peer coaching. Um, and so there's, yeah, I mean, I guess there's I'm trying to think if there's uh, written down somewhere. You could certainly listen to FitbizU. i I'm sure it's in Fit Biz U uh, in, in all of the episodes. I pretty much give away all of, all of my tools in all of the Fit Biz U episodes. And I'd be happy to talk about it at the conference as well
0: yeah, well, it's funny you, you I had this like asterisk of you know about how how you do your content because in one of the episodes too, and, and just for just for the listeners, again, Fit biz you, it's a it's a, essentially a solo cast for now, at least I, I don't know what's coming. Um, but the the content is gold, and this may be the map. I didn't mean to reveal it on purpose. but this may be the map. But in one of your things, you did say, that uh, and, I, and I love this. I I've circled it twice. I said, or you said, free, the free content that you give needs to be so good that people will say, I wonder what's in your closed group or in your mastermind or like, mm-hmm. I wonder what's in the next mm-hmm. level. But, mm-hmm. but is, is that the thing that the trainers don't do or the most business owners don't do is they don't do that next level? Like they're giving out great content, but they don't do the next level of curating that content so that they can deliver to a higher level of a client? Is that, is that, do I have that right?
1: You have to think about the customer journey, right? Like, so when I say customer journey, I just mean like what programs you're creating for them. I mean, like, where are they as a person, right? So for example, think about your gym, right? Someone comes in day one, it's January 1st. Maybe they haven't exercised in years, right? They're going to need something different than someone who's been a member of your gym for years and comes five days a week. Right? They're going right. to need a different level of attention or a different um, education or different Hello. strategy to continue so. progressing. So think about this from the perspective of – I'll give you a nutrition example. Right, We're talking business, but I'll give you like sort of a nutrition example. We sort of look at it like the, maybe the average person doesn't really know anything about nutrition. right? So they come in and they're kind of a beginner. They don't really know what macros are. They don't really know what they're eating. They don't really know what's in what they're eating. Um, and so they need, I would consider that more of a beginner level product where it's like, I'm going to teach you the basics, portion sizes, macros, right? And then if they have a body change goal, then cool, we can start, to, we, we teach them how to count macros and, and to manipulate macros and all that kind of stuff. We teach them diet planning and all these kind of things. A next level, would probably be something like intuitive eating, right? That's like being next level. The person's like, you know, now that I understand all this stuff and I really feel like I have a deep understanding of nutrition, I don't want to count forever. I want to graduate to something else. Cool. Maybe upper up in the ascension model is the intuitive eating program. And not everyone's going to graduate to it, but there's a good amount of people who are like, Macros are great, but I'm done counting. Cool. What's next? What else do you got for me? And I Hmm. think as business owners, whether you're a coach or you, you know, personal trainer or whatever, you have to think to yourself, my goal always is to have all of my clients do at least two products with me. That's the goal is like either they do FBA and legacy or they do legacy and they do uh, the mastermind or they come in through one of our like self-paced offers and they do FBA. Like we want people doing an average of at least two things. So it's my job to message each one of the containers so that people have an aspirational next step. Like I want people saying, oh, I have legacy on my vision board for next year, or I'm doing everything I can to get into the mastermind. Like I don't want to have to be out here, like, you know, hard selling people. I want people to look at it as a stepwise. I want to get to be in this next level. So I don't even take into consideration, oh, it's going to be more expensive or whatever. Like I don't think about that that way. I think about it like what does someone need? And then it's my job to figure out who gets what and when they get it. And because oftentimes, you know, these people don't know what they need. They're coming to you and you're like, and you have to stratify them. So if someone messages me on Instagram right now and it says, hey, Jill, I'd love to work with you for business. I go, cool. Give me a download of where you're at. Right. I don't want to know, like, I don't want to jump on the phone. I'm not going to sell them into anything. I'm like, cool. Where are you at? And they'll be like, oh, I have this, I have this, I have this. And then it's my job to be like, awesome. You're a great candidate for legacy. Here's the wait list. I I would love to see you apply next round, right? It's my job to decide where they go. And, you know, coaches and personal trainers can be doing this too. Is this person a right fit for group training? Is this person a right fit for one-on-one? is this person good to just go into classes, right? Or does this person need nutrition help? What does that look like? What does my nutrition track look like? So it's really, it's putting a lot of ownership in the hands of the coach to figure out, and you know this, people like to be led, right? They wanna mm-hmm. know. I'll say like, hey, I would love to see you in Legacy next round. And people are like, me, really? You think, you think I could do it? It's <laughs> like, yeah. So yeah. don't be, don't constantly be thinking about you have to sell, right? Invite. I know it's like a kind of cliche to say, but instead it's have aspirational next steps for people. Uh, Stratify them, give them a plan of attack. We love that. Hey, I'd love to see you in FBA for the first six months. Then I want you to apply to legacy. And then I want you to the year after, I think you'll be ready for the mastermind. Awesome. Cool. Now we got a plan of attack. And by the way, if they get results with you, they want to stay with you, right? So it's like, it's not like they're going to jump ship the second. It's like, if they got a result with you, I have one gal right now who's in the mastermind who did FBA when during lockdown, cause the gym got closed, did FBA in 2021, went into legacy last year, and now is in the mastermind this year and just like closed like $300,000 online this past year. But she worked Sick. up from beginner to intermediate to advanced. And three years later, she's, you know, over a quarter million dollars in her business. So it's like, that's ideal, right? The three, three levels, not everyone does that, but our goal is always to have people do at least two things with us.
0: I love that. And you know, you're, you're actually making me think twice, you know, I, I keep going back to the, the gym in the city and people not always being there, et cetera, but the 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 old funnel, that bottom of the pyramid for, yep. you know, for our conversation was technically group classes. We were, you know, group classes mm-hmm. were a small part of our business, but they would, people would see the other clients doing like they do in your mastermind and legacy, doing yep. big things. They'd see the yep. big lifts and the big, whoa, I want to do the snatcher. Mm-hmm. I want to yeah. do the sumo deadlift. How can I do Good. that? Right. Good. So, so my lesson from that is you show very well how people can be uh, quantifiably um, and you're honest about it, right? You're, you're not just saying, oh, I'll just take everybody and You have an application process and um, just the, uh, the wizardry uh, behind. Well, and also like um, not to
1: be elitist, right? Like, it's not about like, oh, I'll let you know when you're ready. It's more just like, hey, (laughs) it's up to me as the facilitator of this container to maintain the integrity. So for example, if I'm running a mastermind And it's a six-figure mastermind. Everyone needs to be at that level, not because people are making less or any less worthy. It's just more like, hey, the kinds of conversations we're going to be having. So, for example, you know, we talk about uh, paid traffic, like Facebook ads, Instagram ads, stuff like that. I can't tell someone who's making $50,000 a year to spend $5,000 on their next launch. Right? It's like a totally different conversation. So it's not necessarily about a better or worse thing. It's just more about like, what position are you in that? Like, if I tell you, hey, you need to hire a VA, you don't start like having a nervous breakdown, right? It's like, you're ready for that. You're in a position where that makes sense for your business. So it's my job to maintain the integrity of that container. If we have all these people who are operating at this very high business level, and then I have one person down here, who's constantly asking questions and like in day one stuff that's unfair to everyone in the group. So it's not like a better, or worse thing. It's just about a perfect fit. And to me, I love that idea. Like I'm in a mastermind with James and it's a, you have to be making at least a half a million dollars to be even, even like, uh, you know, qualified to, to apply to the mastermind. And that's not, again, it's not a better, or worse thing. It's just like, yeah, different level of conversations, right? Mm-hmm. Different caliber, of, you know, to be able to hang in those rooms. And that can be a little intimidating, right? But like, I don't know, I like being in rooms with multiple seven-figure business owners and learning what they're doing and and taking a page from their playbook. So I think it's important to find the right place and not feel, especially online, there's no scarcity. You're kidding me? There's so many potential clients on the internet. Mm -hmm. It's like, you don't need to beg someone for business. You don't need to, you know, go out there and compromise on your values at all. You know, so if I say his six figure mastermind, I'm not going to take someone who's not making that because again, that's, that's, you know, it's against my integrity.
0: Wow. Yeah, this is, that was, that was a a powerful, um, and, and I don't mean to wrap it up in a little bow here, but, um, yeah, this is, I, I hope for folks at home who are listening and, and first of all, that this isn't the first time listening to you. Um, but, uh, but if it is that they, they take as many notes as, as I did, because I have, I have two pages in addition to the <laughs> pages of notes from FitBizU. So, um, <laughs> well, I'm but, you super know, I,
1: excited to keep it going at the event. It's going to be fun.
0: Yeah, no, I, I can't wait. And, you know, I, I do, you've already answered the question multiple times, but I'd like to hear it in your own words. I do like to end, you know, each episode with how are you coachable? And I think you've answered it multiple <laughs> times, but in your, in your words, how how would you quantify that you're coachable?
1: So I think, you know, especially having done this such a long time, you know that there's never anything that's like off the table, you know? So I think one of my big things is keep an open mind. That's always my biggest thing. So I might, you know, be in a little mastermind of my own and someone's giving me an idea. And in my head, I kind of know like that won't work, or at least it's not going to work right now. But you know, I always write it down because I'm like, that might be applicable six months from now. You never know. I might be in that place two years from now where I need this thing. And so I think coachability really comes down to being open to seeing something another way. And also here's the deal. I do not want to fight for my limitations. Like, why would I do that? You know? So at the end of the day, you have to ask yourself, are you fighting for the reasons why I think something won't work or are you open to seeing things a bit like a different way? And for me, that's always it. I I never ask, what do I need? I ask what the business needs. That's it. What does the business need? And then I try my best to go and find that resource. So in 2020, when the business needed to scale and I needed help, you know, I I don't know that I was like super ready to be like, all right, I'm like, have, you know, my expenses, we have a lot of money going out of, of, of the account every month now, but I'm like, that's what the business needs, you know? And so for me, that's always the question. It's not about what do I need? It's about what the business needs. And, you know, to me being coachable, is just not, it's just not shutting off to certain things that could be helpful for you.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Well, I can't wait to host you here in St. Louis. Uh, Thank you for your time. And um, yeah, this has been awesome. Thank you so much, Jeff. All right. Bye now.
1: Bye.